Hello and welcome to Definitions, the podcast where we crack the lid of the coffin on death, dying and all the morbid morsels in between. Before we go any further, halt and take heed. These are your words of warning. I will be discussing topics of a deathly nature that may be upsetting to some. Today we will be diving deep and if you suffer from thessalophobia, this may not be the episode for you. Unfortunately, I suffer from thessalophobia, fear of the ocean, so just know that this trigger warning is as much for me as it is for you. You're welcome. If you're not in the right headspace to get down and dirty with the maggots today, then that's fine. I totally get it. Sometimes you'd rather dig into an entire five pack of jam donuts and paint popular memes onto pebbles from your neighbor's driveway only to put them back and see if they notice than a freshly dug grave. Now's your time to save yourself. If you're still here, I'll assume you've got your shovels at the ready and maybe your scuba gear if you're certified because today we're diving into the deep end take an underwater wander around some of the world's submerged cemeteries. The men are wrapped tightly in their coats huddled down into flicked-up collars. The atmosphere is sombre and silent. If it weren't for the continuous rocking of the ship and the pounding icy rain, they could almost be damp, huddled statues. They could almost be dead. It's not just the icy temperatures of the Atlantic that freeze these men to the bone. It's the horror of the task that they have been given. A grisly, solemn, impossible quest to try and bring dignity and final rights to those who have suffered a harrowing fate. Bodies are lined up, two to three deep in some places, just to try and find enough space. They are sewn into weighted cloth one covered with a Union Jack, ready to be pushed overboard into the frozen depths. In a clear voice above the rush of the waves and the creak of the ship, a priest delivers a plea to God to take the souls of the departed as they are committed to the deep, to be turned to corruption, to await their resurrection on that day where the sea shall give up her dead. Perhaps personifying the sea helped this disaster to make sense. Less a random, horrifying accident, and more a kind of terrible sacrifice to an insatiable, unknowable ancient power. Our little monkey brains don't like it when we can't make sense of things. When something so huge and awful happens, we want to assign blame but the sea takes what she wants, and she doesn't play fair. The sign of the cross hangs in the air, 
suspended for a moment in the drizzling rain. Perhaps the men raised their voices as one to conclude the erudite service. Perhaps a bell was rung. Perhaps there was nothing but silence until, one by one, each body descended over the side of the boat to sink slowly into the dark. The year is 1912. The Titanic has sunk. The survivors are those who made it onto the lifeboats from the ship or who were pulled immediately from the water. It is known now that if your loved ones are not among those few, they are dead. The sailors aboard the McKay Bennett, a cable ship chartered by the Titanic's parent company, White Star Liners, in the wake of the catastrophe, are not looking for survivors. All they can do now is fish any bodies that they find out of the water and hope that they are not yet too far decomposed or eaten to be embalmed and sent home, hopefully in order to be identified. For some, for many, it is too late for this. All these brave seafarers can do is weigh the bodies down and lay them to rest deep in a watery grave. If you've listened in to this week's episode of Morbid Morsels already, you may have an inkling of what I'm talking about. On our meandering through some of the good, bad, sad and ugly of Highgate Cemetery, we met Edward Barker. A young man born and raised in London, drawn to work as a steward for the upper-class bourgeoisie on some of the world's biggest ocean liners, and who sadly drowned aboard the Titanic on that fateful April night at the start of the 20th century. Although his body remained in the ocean, he is remembered by a small plaque on his family memorial at Highgate. If you Google Titanic burial at sea photo, you can find the scene I just described, frozen in a washed out sepia. Supposedly taken by the ship's fourth officer nine days after the disaster, it is a snapshot of a moment in history that has captivated us ever since. The McKay Bennett and her men would recover over 300 bodies in the month that they spent out on that specific stretch of water. They carried ready-made coffins and embalming supplies, but all they could really do was respond to the ocean and whoever she decided to give back. Of the 2,223 people on board the Titanic, 1,500 of them went down with the ship. While some of those would have been swept away by the current, many will have either still been aboard or been dragged down by the gravitational pull of the enormous vessel as it sank. This means that in and around the wreckage itself is a final resting place for many of these people. As such, the Titanic itself is considered by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, to be a graveyard. Now, 
It would be extremely hypocritical of me to get high and mighty about people visiting graveyards as, surprisingly I'm sure, this is a hobby of mine. Only, most of the graveyards you will visit can't also lay claim to being the place where those who rest there died. Because of this, and the fact that the wreck rests 3,800 meters below surface, a depth far deeper than the tallest building in the world, visiting is somewhat controversial. Even before the Ocean Gate disaster earlier this year, where five people died when the submersible catastrophically imploded, taking a jaunt down to the ocean floor to view the remains of a tragedy had an air of being somewhat distasteful. But that's partly at least down to personal taste, and dark tourism is a booming industry for a reason. Call it morbid curiosity, or a novel way for adrenaline junkies to get a fix. In this age of commercialism where everything has a price, if you can pay, then the world is your oyster. Or at least your badly constructed, criminally negligent deep sea exploration pod slash death trap. Let it be said that the ocean is fucking scary, and if you see me stepping foot into a deep sea submersible, know that I have been abducted and some supernatural doppelganger has stolen my face. And also, send help. Since this particular sunken burial ground has taken the cultural imagination by storm in the wake of another disaster, I thought it would be interesting to take a look at some other submerged cemeteries from around the world. Let's start big. For this cemetery, we're ditching the ocean for a bit and heading to Chuk Lagoon, an atoll in the central Pacific. What this means is that there is an island in the ocean with a coral rim, and inside that is the lagoon, and a collection of smaller islands which are just inside. If you're confused, just Google images, pal. Formerly known as Truk Atoll, since just after the First World War, the lagoon has played host to numerous conflicts which have left their mark, and given it the morbid moniker of the world's largest underwater cemetery. Following World War I, Germany ceded control of the Micronesian island to Japan, and even after hundreds of years of colonial rule, this is where things get messy. Twenty years later, during the Second World War, Japan would utilise Chuk Lagoon as one of their main naval bases. Enter Operation Hailstone. While the Japanese were holding their territory, the Americans were creeping closer. In just two days in February 1944, the USA fighter planes took to the sky and rained hell over the lagoon. Around 4,500 Japanese soldiers lost their lives, and America was successful in its effort to deprive Japan of one of their most important naval strongholds. And neither the sunken fleet nor the men who went down with their ships were ever recovered. For decades, the lagoon remained untouched until 1969 when famous explorer Jacques Cousteau made a film showcasing the graveyard of warships and their sailors, called Lagoon of Lost Ships. 
It was only after this that the Japanese made an effort to extract the bodies in order to bring them home and lay them properly to rest. Today, Chuk Lagoon is a gold mine for divers and historians with an interest in war wrecks. It's not just ships, either. The lagoon boasts the remains of Japanese tanks and planes as well. It has become a time capsule of the violence inflicted by both sides. On the one hand, any diver who goes there can explore the Japanese war machines firsthand, but also the damage done to them by their enemies. In some places, you can see where the US artillery tore holes and ripped through the metal. The story of this battle has been preserved by the lagoon as an eerie museum, a snapshot of history that, hopefully, we can continue to learn from. Far across the world lies the sleepy German village of Berwick. I suppose, perhaps, dormant is a better descriptor than sleepy for Berwick. Submerged under the waves of the Edessey Reservoir in central Germany, it has a particular trick. Sometimes it's there, and sometimes it's not. It took six years to build the dam which would flood the valley, which was home to three separate villages, and in 1914, this section of the Eder River began its new life as a reservoir. At the same time, the few hundred people who had inhabited Old Berwick moved 20 miles away to New Berwick, and most of the villagers settled peacefully into their new homes. Most. You see, Berwick had sprung up around a Benedictine convent in the 12th century and become a thriving area of idyllic farmland. Families settled and, as people are wont to do at some point in their lives, they died and were buried in the village church. Over the centuries, it's estimated that around 700 people were buried in what was once the dry soil of Berwick. So when I say that most people left and settled into their new homes and lives, what I mean is those left behind didn't really have a choice and also no longer had lives to be settled into. Rather than trying to exhume the dead from the ground that some of them had been buried in for hundreds of years, it was decided instead to seal over the graves with concrete to stop any opportunistic escapees from bobbing to the surface. It is common for local peoples to travel to the reservoir in order to visit lost loved ones and family members. And though any diver can explore the remains of the valley, over the last few years, something else has happened to unveil the sunken history. When water levels are low, it has always been possible to see elements of old structures and the bridge that connected two of the villages. However, after suffering severe droughts in 2003, the remnants of the graveyards seemingly rose from the waters, as did the bridge, which could be crossed from end to end. Though decades of water damage have taken their toll, the bridge itself is still in remarkable condition, and the flat lids of the concrete tombs can still be seen. In another part of the reservoir, it was rumoured that at low tide, you could see the steeple of a submerged church jutting just above the waves. The problem is that it was reported in completely the wrong location. 
visitors to the area were told that the old church was in the reservoir itself when, in actual fact, it belonged to an overflow basin created to help protect the dam. This has become such a local custom that during a celebration of one of the anniversaries of the lake, a new steeple was erected in the water for all to see. Although people have often been to blame for burial grounds being plunged into the depths, sometimes the earth itself is the one creating watery graves. Once again, we are setting sail across the world to Camagin Island in the Philippines, home to the sunken cemetery. In 1871, the world erupted in fire. The earth shook and thick black smoke darkened the sky. And then, the unthinkable. The ground beneath the island's graveyard, which sat just above the sea, plunged down into the roiling waves. The cemetery wasn't the only victim of Camagan's active volcano. And that day, half of the capital city was also pitched into the ocean. The effect of the eruption was devastating. In the process, the earth beneath had shifted so violently that a whole new mountain peak was formed and the geography of the island forever changed. And this wouldn't be the only time the island would be visited by natural disaster. In 1948 and 53, the volcano once again altered the island and sank the cemetery even further into the deep. A cross was initially erected to pinpoint the place of the underwater graveyard, but has since joined those resting beneath the waves due to the turbulence. In 1986, a new cross, this one built on a sturdy platform, was put up to remember the dead and mark their final resting place. Although not much of the original graves remain, due to the build-up of coral over time and erosion from the seawater, if you're up for a snorkel, you can visit the site yourself and meet all of the colourful sea life that now call the area home. Back across the Atlantic and over the Gulf of Mexico lies an underwater cemetery unlike any other. Just over four miles offshore of Key Biscayne, Florida, submerged in over 40 metres of crystal clear water, lies the only in-use underwater cemetery in the world. What I mean by that is that this cemetery isn't the victim of a tragic drowning, no. This is the only place on earth where your cremated remains can be purposefully cast into concrete memorials and interred forever. Neptune Memorial Reef was set up in 2007 as an alternative eco-funeral site for those who love our oceans and wish to contribute to life, even after they've died. Not necessarily human life, though. The memorials are made from an environmental-friendly material and cast into different shapes, from classic boxy designs to octopuses, and topped with a remembrance plaque. And, like it says on the tin, this is an active reef which seeks to create homes for local sea life to thrive. Structures have been dropped into the ocean to create corridors that visiting divers can swim through and is seemingly the perfect resting place for anyone whose heart belongs to the ocean. But not all of us live in the warm climes of the southern US and yet 
still wish for our earthly remains to be cast out to sea. Whilst burial at sea is a tad more complicated, there are options for ashes that are a lot easier. Of course, you can go with a classic scattering, but the thing about being near the sea is it's often windy, especially in the UK, and if you've any experience scattering ashes, then you'll know this already. If the wind isn't blowing in the right direction, when you let the ashes free, there's a high chance you could end up covered in cremated bits of grandpa. A perhaps more dignified route for everyone involved, and which decreases the likelihood of you picking ashes out of your hair, is to choose an urn which dissolves in water. This can be gently placed or lowered into the water, where it will disintegrate, and the ashes will be swept away into the swell. So, there you have it. I hope you've enjoyed our dive over the reef's edge and into the depths of some of the world's best known underwater graveyards. I highly re recommend looking up photographs of the places I've been talking about. There's something hauntingly beautiful evoked in the image of a silent, sunken cemetery. When we imagine our deaths, I think most of us assume that they will be on dry land. Having said that though, cruise ships have mortuaries for a reason. My partner is convinced that she wants to be buried at sea. As a fully grown adult who can't swim, there is not a little amount of irony in this. But perhaps the idea of sinking into the vast, black deep sounds peaceful to you, like it does to her. Maybe you don't want to be eaten by earthworms and think sea worms are the way to go. Perhaps it's the echo of where we come from. After all, we spend the very first part of our lives floating suspended in amniotic fluid, and the idea of being that weightless and held is comforting. Personally, as someone who is very afraid of deep, dark water, this sounds like a nightmare. But hey, whatever floats your boat, or sinks it. If you are also a lover of the dark, the strange, and possibly of cursed literature, join me over on TikTok at Definitions, where I also chronicle and recommend all of my favourite morbid books. If you have any thoughts to share about the podcast or your own impending mortality, drop them in the comments below. Reviews and ratings go a long way in helping to get this podcast out there, and I greatly appreciate the support. I want to tell you guys about all this weird stuff as much as you want to hear about it. The more you let me know you're out there listening, the more I'm inspired to delve into the depths of the internet and my local library to bring you these twisted tales. The Definitions podcast is research written and read by me, Jasper Chanter, with music provided by Zapsplat. Anyway, chop chop, breaks over, pick that shovel up, that grave's not going to dig itself. Bye bye for now, listeners. Catch you on the other side.